Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Rotating Reels, the film review podcast where we alternate between new releases and favorites recommended by the co-hosts. I'm one of your hosts, Keegan Tran, calling in from Portland, Oregon, calling in today from Seattle, Washington, the usual suspect, Hank Showalter. Say hey. The name Showalter. Hank Showalter. I I thought I mispronounced your name. You scared me. And then uh, (laughs) calling in from Nashville, Tennessee. We have Denise, a uh, regular contributor from the Instagram account Letterboxd Out of Context. Hey guys, what are you doing if you're not following that page already? And uh, I know we do this every time, but when we, uh, I think we first interviewed you, you were at just over a thousand. You came back to do Perfect Blue with like 15,000 followers. And now I think you're at like 19,000, is that right? Uh, I can just check. I think I'm almost. Uh, I'm 19 right now. Woo! 19.9. Current projections. Next time we'll bring you on at 25. Just that crazy linear growth. Super proud of the page, man. It's consistently good. Well, cool. It's actually well, the uh, only page I ever check out on on Letterboxd. I don't go on Letterboxd very often. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you hear that, that Letterboxd? You should just sponsor me already. <laughs> Have you? Well, I know you tag them a lot. Have you gotten their attention yet? Uh, I got their attention on the please sort out your replies to reviews section. Uh, and they were like, we're working on it. They haven't changed anything. So <laughs> we'll see. Well, Time will tell. I guess you have a... 19,000 people you can mobilize to try to get things done on Letterboxd. <laughs> so that's that's power, if nothing else. Uh, but, uh, so we're going to be here for our main review this week of... 007 No Time to Die. Uh, it's the last in the Daniel Craig James Bond movies. But before we do that, we're going to talk about our watch weeks. So uh, I say we just kind of do away with the three minutes for uh, this episode since we have a guest. So, Denise, what have you been watching over the past week? Uh, okay, so I'm going to go more my last two or three weeks because, like I said, I'm slacking recently. Uh, so of course, I watched No Time to Die. Uh, I watched this Western called Old Henry, uh, which was not bad. And then uh, I watched the first half of the interview, which was an experience. And then I watched Due Date, which is, uh, wait, who's, the, who's in that? Robert Downey Jr. and Galifianakis, whatever his name is. That was that was also an experience. <laughs> I'm not watching any artsy movies these days. Uh, and then I watched Squid Game, as everyone should, and everyone has. I'm watching Squid Game, and I'm currently watching the third season of Sex Education, which is also a very good show. Everyone go watch that. Uh, where's hey. Sex Education on? I've heard of everything else. Yeah. Uh, Sex Education is on. Netflix, I think. And is it a comedy? Is it educational programming? Oh yeah, no, it's entirely. It's in. A, it's in a high school. Everyone's horny. It's that's why it's called sex education. Some guy <laughs> tries to start a sex clinic in a high school, and it's it's really hilarious. It's wholesome. Everything great representation because it focuses on sex. There's all types of sexualities on the show. Just a great show in general. Nice. Cool. Sounds like a good amount of stuff. Plenty of uh, Netflix representation there in your watch history. <laughs> uh, Hank, 
So you said that you had a pretty busy watch week. Uh, what are we looking at for uh, watching, playing, reading over in the Hank household? Yeah, so uh, in the Hank household, I mentioned last week that for the month of October, uh, me and my girlfriend are doing a werewolf-themed month where we're watching a bunch of werewolf movies, werewolf TV series. Um, and so anyway, a bunch of werewolf-themed stuff, a little bit of non-werewolf-themed stuff. So starting with the werewolf-themed stuff, uh, I recently watched the new movie Werewolves Within, uh, which is a horror comedy um, that I was really impressed by. I didn't expect anything going in. Uh, it has some kind of no-name or small-name actors in it. It has uh, Milana Vaintrub, who plays uh, Lily in the uh, State Farm commercials, I think, as well AT&T. as... Yeah, oh, AT&T. You know, same, it's all blue or something. <laughs> I don't know. Um, anyway, it's got uh, also... Oh, I can't remember his name at all, but the uh, Little Buff Boys announcer from... Uh, Tim Robinson's I Think You Should Leave. Anyway, uh, everyone in the show uh, did much better than I expected. Uh, It was really entertaining through and through. Would totally recommend Werewolves Within. Um, I also watched uh, the latest couple episodes of What We Do in the Shadows, great as ever. I rewatched the movie What We Do in the Shadows uh, because it features some werewolves uh, fairly prominently. Um, that movie holds up on a rewatch. Every time I rewatch it, I'm like, hell ass, yeah. Um, <laughs> what else have I got? I watched uh, Curse of the Werewolf, which is a uh, hammer horror werewolf film. And uh, man, I, I, I don't know if you've watched many of these like hammer horror films. They're like kind of cheesy, like British movies from like the you know mid 1900s. Um, this one was kind of hard to watch. It was like, you know, like sexual assault, the movie with like a little bit of werewolf thrown in. Um, so anyway, that one was kind of hard to watch. I'm, I'm used to them being a bit cheesier and featuring a whole lot more Christopher Lee. This one had no Christopher Lee. So anyway, not sure I'd recommend that one. Um, and then also (laughs) I watched, uh, Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, um, Another classic. This one's a lot easier to watch. Um, it's kind of nonsense. It's not one of like the more fondly regarded uh, like monster movies, uh, but uh, you know it's, it's worth putting on. Um, last werewolf uh, flavored thing I've been watching is I started the TV series Teen Wolf, uh, which is like a 2011 MTV TV series. Uh, you know I. I uh, I don't know much about how it was received when it aired. I wasn't watching MTV in 2011, uh, but based on what I see, I've seen, I imagine it's won several awards. Um, it's probably really highly. Re- no, no, it's 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 pretty cheesy and terrible, but I love it. Um, it's it's like kind of a straight up ripoff of uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, except instead of a vampire slayer, it's a werewolf. Uh, but anyway, pretty funny. I'll actually probably continue watching it because it's just light and easy to watch. Uh, Besides all of that werewolf stuff, I have been watching a few other things. I watched like the last 30 minutes of Harry Potter 8, which is like part two of like the Deathly Hallows or whatever. It's not good. I I didn't like it. Um, It's not nearly as cozy as the other Harry Potter movies, and it's surprisingly self-serious. And I'm like, there's no room for self-seriousness here. So don't recommend Harry Potter 8 at all. Uh, Watcher, uh, my favorite YouTube channel, besides the lockpicking lawyer, uh, has started up a new series called Are You... Or actually, a new season of an existing series called 
Are You Scared? Um, Are You Scared is like basically the, the two hosts, Shane and Ryan, read creepypastas. Um, and it's, it's, it's good fun. It's like good, like before bed, like I want something spooky, but I don't actually want to get scared type fun. Um, so anyway, if you're into creepy pastas at all, check out, are you scared on YouTube? I've continued watching survivor, uh, just finished season 11. It's a stinker of a season. There's not a single likable person on that one. Um, and the last thing I've watched, uh, this past week is uh the 2020 documentaries they did a uh like hour 20 minute documentary on the chippendale murders which are murders that uh Mm. were centered around like the the chippendale male exotic dance review um so i i don't know it's it's uh it's a really interesting case i totally recommend watching it i don't want to say too much about it for fear of you know spoiling what was going on there but uh if you liked magic mike and you were like hey but what if this was a murder documentary? Go check out the 2020 uh, Chippendale murders uh, docu- documentary. It's it's pretty entertaining. Um, and that's all I've been watching. One last call out is that in addition to watching all that shit, I recently started playing the fourth entry in the Yakuza series, Yakuza 4. Uh, oh man, it's really good. I'm really I'm getting close to finishing that series, so I'll be able to do my eight part Patreon. Uh, overview and I'm excited for that day to come and that's all I've been watching and playing this week thank you we're lying you're nice and busy I uh, I really miss Taylor this week because Denise may not know this but uh, I think it's been the past three weeks Hank has had this pattern of only watching a certain portion of a Harry Potter movie so I think he's only watched the Harry Potter one all the way through me no I've, I've yeah. seen all of them all the way through but not in your recent re- oh. like revisitation of them, right? Yeah, no, in the recent revisitation, uh, I think only the first one all the way through. Snippets of several others. <laughs> gotcha. Okay, so the last 30 minutes of the last movie didn't hold up. Good to know. Cool. Well, uh, I will jump right into mine. I, I also watched quite a few things this week, um, so I'll try to keep it relatively brief. Um, I watched Atomic Blonde, which is Charlize Theron's John Wick movie. Um, this is actually by the exact same people that did the John Wick movie. So same uh, director, same action, stunt coordinators. Um, very similar uh, imagery. Not as good as the John Wick movies. Um, I feel like it takes the right kind of action actor to look like they're not pulling punches. And I don't think Charlize Theron is a bad actress, but I don't really buy her as someone who can take down Russian mobsters. Um, Not that she's not a great actress in this movie either. Um, Finished Squid Game, which Denise said he watched. Uh, Really, really liked that. I was pretty lukewarm on the first couple episodes. Uh, I think it's kind of boring when they're not in the Squid Game, but man, some of the challenges, some of the emotional punches they pull later on, uh, it's really, really good. And it really deserves all the hype it's getting. The only thing I would caveat is in the third act, there's a sequence, many, many sequences where we have people only speaking in English, and uh, it's pretty obvious that it's uh, a Korean production that doesn't know how to direct English language sequences, because it's it's pretty rough. Would you agree? Oh, yeah. Like, the only part I hated on the show is the part they spoke the language I understood. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, wish they could uh, keep going in Korean. Like, no. It's pretty unconvincing. Yeah. So uh, just be aware of that. Again, it doesn't ruin the enjoyment of the movie or the, the series in any way. Um, 
my girlfriend had also never watched School of Rock, which is my favorite uh, Jack Black movie. Really, really look back on this movie fondly. I used to watch it on my little portable DVD player as a kid. Still holds up, man. Jack Black's a lot of fun. Richard Linklater knows how to direct him really well. Um, the music's really fun as well. Um, I went to a live Q&A screening of The Paper Tigers, um, where I saw my brother, uh, Bao Tran, who directed the movie. Uh, got to ask him a couple questions outside of the podcast. Got to take some pictures. Got my Blu-ray signed. Uh, pretty fun. Didn't know that it was being hosted by the Asian Realtors of Portland Association, but uh, they were nice hosts. <laughs> it was uh, fun enough. Uh, so that was, that was really cool. If you go on our Instagram, you can see pictures of uh, me and my brother, Bao. Um, also, I know we talked a little bit about our anticipation for Dune in the pre-show and, and some Via New stuff. Um, so I, in that vein, I watched Blade Runner 2049 Blackout which is uh, an anime pre-movie to Blade Runner 2049, directed by the guy who directed Cowboy Bebop, the original anime. Um, and it basically details an event that they talk about in Blade Runner 2049, where all systems go down. Really interesting, 20 minutes short, it's on Crunchyroll. Um, and then, I swear I'm almost done, I watched Breakfast <laughs> at Tiffany's for the first time. Man, this is a weird fucking movie. I don't know if I just don't watch enough Golden Age of Hollywood stuff, or if this movie was like considered weird at the time. Uh, Audrey Hepburn is absolutely iconic in this movie. This is probably the most fucking racist movie I've ever seen in my life. It is pretty abysmal, the, uh, the um, Mickey Rooney stuff. But even looking past that, it's kind of a surreal movie by modern uh, tastes. So I don't know how I feel about that at all. Uh, and then <laughs> lastly, uh, some of you may know the VHS franchise. It's a horror anthology. Uh, they had a new movie, VHS 94. It's a Shutter original, um, six different um, uh, horror shorts, all compiled into one story with an overarching kind of narrative. Uh, also really fun, better than the last VHS, which is VHS Viral. Um, definitely not as good as like VHS 2, which I think is the best. Uh, but if you have Shutter, I mean, you're already super into horror movies, so I'd absolutely recommend checking this out as well. And I'm finally going to take a breath, and that rounds out my watch week, and a uh, pretty lengthy watch week for all of us, it seems. Yeah, yeah. But I think that's a good sign, though. You know, that means there's a lot to watch. So, congrats, entertainment industry. I guess. Yeah. There's an overwhelming amount of things to watch these days. So, yeah, plenty, plenty of good stuff. Um, and speaking of things that are coming out that are good to watch, uh, our main review, which is a movie that was actually supposed to come out in late 2019, that is uh, No Time to Die. Let me read the IMDb blurb. I should have had pulled up ahead of time. James Bond has left active service. His peace is short-lived when Felix Later, an old friend from the CIA, turns up asking for help, leading Bond onto the trail of a villainous, mysterious, armed... Wait. Oh, of a mysterious villain armed with dangerous new technology. That is a pretty wonky IMDb blurb. Uh, so... If you guys are uh, new to the show, we will talk about the movie in a pre-spoiler section. Give our thoughts without, you know, spoiling anything. If you haven't seen the movie yet, you kind of want to form an opinion before going in. It's a good time to check in. And then we will give you a big bumper when we're going to go into spoilers. And then we're going to talk about the ending, all the kind of stuff that would ruin the movie for you. So, keeping this in the vein of non-spoilers. Um, and before we do that, Hank, what did you think about this movie? But before you even say that, what's your relationship to James Bond in general? Yeah, so I have seen not every James Bond movie, but 
the vast majority of them. And when I say James Bond movies, I, I only mean the Eon productions. Anything that's not Eon, I, I haven't seen at all. Um, so, can you explain that that difference? Because I'm not sure what that means. Yeah, so Eon Productions is just the company that produces all of, uh, I think, what are considered the mainline Bond movies, you know, the Sean Connery ones, the recent Daniel Craig ones. That said, there have been a couple other production companies that have gotten their hands on the rights for little one-offs. I haven't seen those little one-offs. I've only seen those kind of mainline ones. Um, But so anyway, uh, the first James Bond movies I saw were the first James Bond movies with Sean Connery, big Sean Connery fan. Um, I'm not going to try and mimic his accent, but uh, it makes me giggle every time. Uh, I also spent a fair amount of time with the Pierce Brosnan James Bond movies. Um, and then, of course, I've, I've seen all the, the Daniel Craig ones because they've, they've come out while I've been of, of theater-going age. Um, so anyway, I, I have a pretty broad overview. The, the most time I've spent with James Bond has definitely been with uh, Connery and Brosnan. And, uh, yeah, so all, all that is to say, it, you know, it goes back a bit. I, I watched those movies as a child, enjoyed them pretty well. Um, I think there are parts of them that don't age that well, uh, like portrayal of women. Uh, you know, it's 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 pretty male gazy. Um, but that said, I do think they're super stylish movies. They have really cool music choices. They have some fun fun casting and stuff. Um, so I'm pretty fond of them. Uh, that said, I'm going to move into how I feel about this latest movie and kind of the Daniel Craig Bond in general. I don't dislike the Daniel Craig Bond, but I'm not a huge fan of it uh, because the, the the earlier James Bond movies to me feel more distinctly like spy movies. You know, it's like a little bit more like sneaking around, being fashionably dressed, being, you know, it's kind of like, like, you know, sexy and understated to some extent. And there's like some wacky gadgetry and stuff, but there, there aren't like a whole lot of shootouts. Um, the Daniel Craig movies feel kind of like British Mission Impossible to me, uh, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. I'm sure there are, there are some audiences that really love that. But when I go to a James Bond movie, I'm not really going for like high speed chases and shootouts. I'm, I'm, I'm going for like a little bit more of the slow paced stuff. And I feel like that's been kind of ejected in this latest batch of movies. Um, and uh, this latest movie is like two hours and 40 minutes long. And a pretty stunning amount of that movie is like gunfights and stuff. So that kind of complaint of mine is very much present here. Um, they definitely do have some kind of the, the, the stylish coolness that the series was born with. Um, like they have some cool scenes of you know just driving a car on a lone highway, stuff like that. Uh, but a bit too much of the movie for my taste is just you know shootouts, bombings, car chases, etc. And that's my take without spoiling anything all right so it seems like you have some skin in the game um it seems that you are uh, a little lukewarm on this and generally kind of an extension of your sentiment towards the entire craig era of bond um, is kind of wrapped up in this movie denise uh how do you feel about the bond franchise as a whole and what do you think of this entry uh okay so i'm gonna uh show my age on this i've only watched the daniel craig james bond movies and I've watched, I think, all of them. And recently I revisited Skyfall and Casino Royale because those are like probably the best ones. And that's probably a unanimous decision across the film community that those two are the best ones of the Daniel Craig franchise. So those are amazing, especially Skyfall. We all know how amazing the cinematography is on that, the music, 
it's all amazing. It all comes together perfectly. Uh, I watched No Time to Die uh, on Sunday. I went to a nearby theater and watched it as soon as I found out I was being invited to this episode. And I'm not going to say I didn't like it. I liked it. I think we can all kind of accept that it's a fun movie. Oh, James Bond is always fun. I feel like you never get bored. You never be like, oh, this is this is pointless or I don't want to watch this. It always has an element of like excitement to it, I feel like. And this one, even though it was two hours and 40 minutes long, I didn't feel the time at all. I felt like it kind of managed me to like manage to put me through two, two hours and 40 minutes, basically. So I had no like... I have no bad opinion on the uh, what kind of a movie it is. I'm not against the whole like it's it is more of an action film than a spy film. I kind of agree with that sentiment, but I'm not really against that. I, I feel like it's still worthy of being a James Bond film. Uh, I have a few like cons that is kind of like well, well one of them is James Bond. Why is James Bond always coming out of retirement? Like, how many times has this guy come out of retirement at this point? Like, He's like the you... stones, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, he's always, the, the like plot points are always the same. I feel like James Bond escapes. He's like, I'm finally retired. Because this happened in the previous movies too. Like, correct me if I'm wrong. But I feel like this happened a few times now. He's out of the game. He's like, okay, I'm finally my own man. I'm not like just a gun or whatever. I'm not just a killing machine. And then something happens and then he's right back into the game and he's again going after this random like secret organization. This time again, it's 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 kind of repetitive after a point, but I don't feel like that makes the movie a bad movie. I enjoyed it. It was fun. Uh, I was expecting way more. This is a bit of a spoiler, but I think I can say it here. I was expecting a way, way more Ana de Armas. Like, why was she only? Never mind. All right, that 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 makes me mad. I wanted <laughs> to see her so much more. Uh, and then yeah, I feel like I have a lukewarm opinion of the movie, but I do not think it was a bad movie whatsoever. Fair enough. Yeah, I absolutely. I will go on the record as saying Ana de Armas is my modern day celebrity crush. She's amazing. Everything she's in is so good, and the movie just completely wakes up when she comes in. Right, we're we're doing some kind of quiet spy stuff. We get her introduction, and boom, we have introduction of our main bio weapon. We have her coming in as an agent. We have our new 007. That's not a spoiler. It's in the it's in the trailer. Everything comes to life. She's so good. And then we have her for 15 minutes and she just disappears. And it's not even like she disappears because she dies or anything. It's just completely written out of the script. And I was disappointed too, but I had read that her inclusion in this movie was a super late game uh, addition because originally a lot of those parts were written for Felix's character where they're going through the whole dinner sequence, or I guess it's it's a party, birthday party. Um, but Daniel Craig and Anna de Armas got along so well on the Knives Out set that he invited her to, you know, he, he tried to write a part in the script for her because they got along and had such a good working relationship. So I thought that was awesome. But I agree. I wish she was just a, a major character throughout the whole movie. Yeah. 
Cool. Well, I guess I'll round us out here um, and say that I'm somewhere between the two of you guys as far as my experience or tenure with James Bond movies. Um, I'm definitely not as old old of a soul as, as Hank and have watched all of them, but I've uh, watched Octopussy. I've watched uh, The Spy Who Killed Me, The Spy Who Loved Me. I'm not sure. Uh, a couple of the older stuff. I think like a lot of uh, men our age, it's kind of a rite of passage of just watching James Bond movies with your dad. Um, so I watched a lot of these like on, on TV marathons as a kid, um, probably just a handful. But I agree. Um, I, I don't know much else from the Craig era other than Skyfall and Casino Royale. Really, really like uh, Casino Royale. I think it's like probably my favorite Bond movie um, because I don't have that attachment to the character that Hank might. Um, because of that, I came into this movie not really having any sort of expectations for my enjoyment of it and I just was kind of grumpy that I was having to watch a three-hour movie for the show um, and I walked to the theater in the rain which I was also uh, extra grumpy about but pleasantly surprised guys I actually really really enjoyed this movie um, I would argue almost enough to be like uh, I don't know best of the year but maybe like one of my uh, uh, what, what is it like you say beforehand like uh, could have made it into my top 10 list um, if it weren't for some other good movies, like an honorable mentions kind of thing. Um, I think Daniel Craig is hes really fun. I know he kind of is is over this role, but he gives a fun performance, man. And I feel like we, we have this serialization in these Bond movies that we don't get in other Bond movies. And personally, I really like that connective tissue that can span across multiple movies. And I think it works out in the favor, um, obviously, and Spectre is not a good movie. Um, and I think there's some issues that this movie brings baggage from that movie into um, its plot, unfortunately, that can't be avoided. But overall, man, I think this is a really fun movie. I am more prone to like action than spy stuff. So I think this has some of the best action sequences that we'll get into in spoilers. But um, yeah, walked out of the, the theater three hours later, very, very happy with my 50 cent investment. <laughs> All right. Is there uh, anything else before we get into spoilers that you guys want to bring up? Um, I guess uh, one thing I'd say is that this is a really action-heavy movie, <laughs> you know. And like, I I know I've mentioned that already. I kind of listed it as a con. It's not so much a con for me as it's not why I go to a James Bond movie. You know, I I just. I feel like there are other franchises that do the action a little bit better. Like, maybe I've become, like, a bit desensitized to it at this point. Like, I think they do it well, but I just watch, you know, Fast 9 or F9 or whatever it's called. And there's just not going to be an action movie this year that gets my adrenaline pumping more. And I feel like that's the main goal of action movies. Um, so anyway, I, I, don't, I don't think it's a bad thing they went the action route. I just feel like there's, like, a little bit more uh, fruit on the spy thriller you know, tree these days. I think I can't disagree more. I mean, you, you don't go into a Bourne movie expecting, right? Because I, I think there's there's such different categories of these action movies, right? I think these Bond movies, while obviously a 55-year-old man cannot jump a motorcycle over a bridge, like I think there's a certain amount of like groundedness to this action that F9 is not going for. I, I get your point, but I think that uh, different different categories. I, I mean, <laughs> I was just going to say... It, it, groundedness is a bit of a stretch for this movie keegan i'm you know just saying <laughs> say, we'll save that for spoilers denise what were you saying oh, no i was just gonna say i was gonna uh kind of 
First of all, the Bourne series is amazing. Let's just point that out. I know you said, like, the Bourne series is very commendable. Anyway, so I was going to agree with the whole <laughs> uh, Daniel Craig aspect of the movie. I think he's as charismatic, as sarcastic as ever. And I think he is amazing. He makes the movie what it is. Uh, he's very tongue-in-cheek. And I feel like that, that element of cheekiness of the character really sh- shows itself with Craig. Like the amount of, he knows he's amazing and that's why he can act this way, that, that, that confidence, that charisma. I feel like it wouldn't be the same without that kind of leading man. And that's the whole point of James Bond, I'm aware. I just think Daniel Craig does fit the role perfectly. Yeah, most definitely. Well, and it's a great point, right? Because, you know, we'll get into this in spoilers, but we have to go somewhere from this movie because uh, this is his last movie. So uh, I think there's a lot of conversations now of, a more modern James Bond, right? We get some hints of that in this movie, but nothing that I can say without spoilers. Um, so I'll open the floor once again if you guys have anything else, but if not, you can get started on spoilers. Yeah, let's talk spoilers, but first, let's take a little break. <laughs> let's go pee. All right, Hank. So I brought up the point beforehand that this is a slightly more grounded action movie than maybe uh, your Fast and Furiouses, your Marvel movies. It's I believe that it's meant to be on par with the Jason Bourne movie. I think you might disagree. Why is that? Yeah, so I'm not saying that it's not more grounded than the Fast and the Furious. Um, I think that we can agree there. But to call this movie grounded at all, I think is a bit of a stretch because like the, the, the core conflict is around a bioweapon that is going to be released in the world that kills people in literal seconds uh, from from when they contact it, come into contact with it. And uh, I don't know, like maybe we need to bring like a, a bioengineer or something on. That seems a little bit far-fetched to me. And uh, it seemed like they're, uh, they were like moments away at the end of the movie from having it infect like the whole world and wiping out huge swaths of the population. Um, I know with stakes like that, I just struggle a little bit to call a movie grounded. Like if if it was something that we're all like familiar with, like Nuclear Winter, I'd be like, yeah, Nuclear Winter could happen. But they had like this like weird like you know like modern brutalist compound that was just full of water that they were apparently breeding an incredibly effective bioweapon. It it wasn't grounded, Keegan. It was basically science fiction. Fair enough. Well, and the the disconnect there is that it's supposedly nanobots. But underground, they're farming them in trees that grow in water. <laughs> and also, they had a, a, vir- a virologist or some kind of a biologist working on it from Russia. So I think it's fair enough. All right. I, I don't argue those points at all. Very fair. I would also argue that the James Bond series has never really been grounded. Um, and that's kind of what I like about it. Like, it's always, you know, like these, like, total megalomania. Like, there's a reason Austin Powers, which is, like, a parody of James Bond, is so over the top. It's because, you know, the villains are always over the top. And I don't take issue with that. Um, I just think that if you're going to have an over the top villain and they're going to be the antagonist in your over the top action movie, you know, do it a bit more. You know, do, do, do it a bit sure. more. That, that's my main ask. I realize it may not be what they were going for, but it's how I would have done it. Yeah, I actually agree with that. Uh, the villain was probably the weakest point of the movie. Uh, so it, if we're to look at the old Bond movies again, if we look at Skyfall, was that was Bardem, Javier Bardem's character, the main villain there? 
in Skyfall. Yeah. That guy, that character, amazing character. Like, and that was, I, I read somewhere that that was Javier Bardem's own choice to uh, make the character a bit feminine, a bit like, like uh, dyed the hair blonde, just make a unique villain, right? And that was such a unique villain. And then you see Mads Mikkelsen mm. in Casino Royale. Mads Mikkelsen is just the embodiment of like a badass anyway. Yeah, so the whole villain was kind of trash. Like, how does my man, <laughs> how does my man Rami Malek go from his family dying to eugenics? Like, how, how do you make that connection? Like, well, one moment, you're, okay, your, your parents are dead. It's very sad. You want revenge. Why are you taking it out on the entire world? What are you doing? Like, how is that a connection? How is that a viable backstory? Like, that just doesn't work. It doesn't work at all. And Yeah, the motivation was not there. I totally agree. It was not there. Yeah. And maybe I kind of misunderstood a few things, but how is Rami Malek still young if he tried to kill the girl when she was young, but Rami Malek's still not that old now? Or maybe it's just because Rami Malek has a baby face? How old is the villain supposed to be? I, my interpretation was that, you know, he saved her. She's like roughly under 10. He's, you know, maybe in his late teens, early 20s. Fast forward 10, 20 years, he's still only in his, you know, 30s or 40s. Um, and, you know, with all the the deformities he's got going on, you know, it's hard to say what age he is. So so I, 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 I didn't think the timeline was too weird. Um, though it was a little bit off-putting at first because he looked exactly the same when, like, the edge of his face was revealed as later on. I was like, do it up when he's older, at least. You know, make me believe it. I would say I, I have a... I'm completely in agreement. I feel like the character motivations are not there. Uh, but I have a potentially hot take about the performance and that I, I think Robbie Malik is a good actor. Um, I think he's always kind of type typecast into weird kind of roles. Uh, but my hot take is that I feel like Rami Malik is like a good multiverse version of Jared Leto. Like, I feel like you can you could swap out those roles, right? Like think of the the guy who makes all the AI from Blade Runner twenty forty nine. They're like eccentric, weird kind of villains. But like one is well acted, the other one's not. I feel like similar kind of vein to those villains. Do you guys agree? Um, I could see it. I could see it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'd say the big difference between Rami Malek and Jared Leto is that Malek has talent. <laughs> yeah, and that Jared Leto is kind of a kind of a douche, unfortunately. But <laughs> didn't mean to draw that much of a comparison. But but cool. uh, what okay. I will say, one more point on this is, I felt like this movie was a waste of Malik because I I normally love him and yeah. everything I see him in, and I feel like uh, you know this is definitely an underestimate, but I feel like he got five minutes of screen time, grand total, you know, and his motivations were totally underexplored. I'm like, you got this guy that I love in everything I see, and you barely show him to me. What's up with that? <laughs> Yeah. Uh, oh, sorry. Oh no, I was just gonna say. Uh, I and I agree. We should have seen Malik more, maybe. But at the same time, isn't the whole like fun fact that, for example, in Silence of the Lambs, Anthony Hopkins only had like 15 minutes of screen time, right? Mm-hmm. Like you don't need that much of a focus on the villain if it's a good enough character. Like the idea of that villain should be threatening enough. Mm-hmm. 
But yeah. Rami Malek's just a little guy walking around in the, this movie. <laughs> he's not like a. Yeah. He's not scary. He's not intimidating. Like, and that that isn't to say Rami Malek wasn't a good actor in this movie. I love Rami Malek too, and I've loved him in everything I've seen him in. Again, I agree with mm-hmm. that. It's just they didn't know how to write a character for my guy Rami. Like, it didn't work. Yeah, I, I think. I was gonna say I think the comparison to Silence of the Lambs is kind of is is actually kind of a good one because there like the writing really supports the villain like you know like from the way everyone's acting from the way everything's going on like we know he's a scary dude and then we have a great actor filling the, that role and it seems like you know if they had wanted to do the same sort of thing here they would have had to give Rami some some like good motivations so he was just filling out already a good role but they didn't really have a good role for him to fill out so he's just kind of like filling out space you know like it, 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 it he wasn't supported he was just kind of there yeah sure yeah well i was gonna say it, it, for the movie to have uh that kind of omnipresence right i feel like the threat of him is a not that intimidating but what i did like is the the main henchman the guy who has the robotic eye who shows up a lot mm. I thought that guy was a lot of fun we have a lot of good fight sequences with him throughout the movie um and as far as like you know, you were saying that Rami Malek is just a small guy throughout the movie. Like, for someone to bring Braun, that guy is, is a lot of fun. And he's, you know, similarly, I think the Bond movies really like having someone with some kind of, you know, visible facial deformity. Um, so it's kind of, you know, very on, on brand to have the, the eye that explodes and all that fun stuff. So I like that guy a lot. Um, I thought he was in all the best action scenes as well. Yeah. Yeah. His, his first, uh, like, punch out with Bond was pretty fun. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I, we talked about it a little bit earlier, but I'm just curious. Like, we have some major action set pieces throughout this movie, right? We started out, we have, you know, Bond trying to escape throughout. I think it's in Italy. He, you know, jumps a, a dirt bike, and we see some really cool Aston Martin stuff. You know, later on, there's the fight in Cuba, there's the fight on the boat, there's a fight, uh, you know, fighting through a staircase, the, all the stuff on the island, and then, excuse me the fight in the foggy forest so a lot of really good set pieces was it too much did you guys have something that stuck out particularly to you do you wish they had toned down some of it uh so i actually loved the action uh pieces the sets uh one was the first one i think the one in italy when he's he goes to the grave it explodes then people just start running after him they start chasing him and he ends up on a bridge I feel like, and he almost has this look on his face. He's like, oh, this again. And then he jumps off the bridge, hanging on to the rope and kind of swings himself around in classic James Bond fashion. And I was like, okay, this is what the movie's trying to do. Respect. It was, it was really fun. And this, uh, the other one that stood out was probably the, the stair scene while they were on the island, like him trying to go up to the control tower like the the room with all the buttons and stuff that was like a really cool uh scene and i feel like that kind of close quartered thing has been overdone like you see it with john wick you see it with james james bond again uh there was this great set piece in atomic blonde because you mentioned it earlier i feel like you remember that scene on the stairs keegan again when they were in a building next to a parade i feel like there's that was an amazing scene and I feel like yeah. if you do it well, that's that's probably one of the best action 
like choices is to do like a close quartered one and i feel like that was also very impressive and in general it's just a it's just a beautiful film too like the foggy forest uh scenes like you're like wow okay this is well lit this is well shot and the tension's there the tension's always there i feel like they manage the tension to a t and uh, uh, yeah the action the action scenes do actually work well yeah, I'm actually really glad you asked about the action scenes because earlier I identified kind of the action focus as an issue I had with the movie. And I kind of want to make it clear that there are kind of specific instances where I think it works for kind of the, the Bond franchise and times where I think it doesn't. So uh, a few scenes that I really loved that I want to call out. Um, Aston Martin has the two Gatling guns come out of the, the headlights. Classic Bond. So this is good. like badass gadgetry it's you know like a trick hidden up his sleeve that clearly no one else knew about that's what i come to bond for you know he's clever he's well equipped you know i love it similarly uh when he used the emp on his watch and blew up the mechanical eye brilliant loved it that was like a classic piece of q technology um love that sort of stuff and the the thing is though those were you know kind of contrasted with the the kind of you know bog standard driving and shootout scenes um and i don't have a problem with shootout scenes uh but they're not really part of what i love about bond movies you know like i, I come to see him you know do something clever and you know like use like a gadget that he's been given like in the beginning you know i love like the old school like he meets up with q he goes to the arsenal gets like the pen and the watch love it didn't really have that here other than the the, the watch um and instead most of the action was just him being a really good shot and it's fine it looks it looks good daniel craig makes it look you know like really cool but i can watch any movie in the world to see someone be a really good shot like there are so many action movies where the protagonist can shoot people really good you know and like i play video games there are plenty of video games where i can shoot people really good um so it's just you know i come to bond for the aston martin with the gatling guns and the watch that makes the eye explode i come to it for kind of like the clever cool stuff there are these cool set pieces and not so much for just the plain old shootouts because i can get those anywhere um so there were some scenes that worked really well for me and some that worked less well sure well, I think some of these action set pieces have really good moments of characterization within them, right? And I think my favorite one, like you're talking about, right before he whips out the Gatling guns in the DB5 in Italy, they're trapped. Every single corner has someone around them. They, you know, all of these goons start shooting up the car. There's, you know, it's obviously bulletproof. So, you know, one of the guys with the eyeball comes out, starts just absolutely shotgun blasting the passenger window, just like demolishing this this glass. And Madeleine's like freaking out. She's you know begging for her life essentially. It's super tense, and you just get this moment of like inaction, right? Where you're just looking at Daniel Craig, and you can see he's the wheels are spinning. He doesn't know if he's been set up, and he finally decides to let her live. And that's when he whips out the Gatling guns. Like that, you know, I I agree that some of the action is a little over or heavy-handed, but I thought that sequence was really good. Mm -hmm. um, and the other one that I really liked was when we're in the foggy forest. And he flips the the Range Rover. Oh. And the guy that had sold him out, the American guy, is, is again begging for his life, about to be trapped by this car. And Bond just kind of like taps the car, gives it a little pat, and walks away and lets it crush him. It's, it's so, so good. Yeah, actually, I really do agree with that. Um, <laughs> the Range Rover tipping over. 
partially because you know that wasn't bond just being really badass like every other action hero that was like some real bond attitude and you know it, it's nice it kind of separates him from like the oh i'm too good to kill you action heroes that i'm we get very used to you know especially in yeah. the age of like marvel movies separates him from that um and also it's not reliant on him being just like an unrealistically good shot it's just him kind of going like fuck you and i loved that so i forgot gotcha. to call it out but i totally agree yeah, uh, while we're talking about, like, Hank, you mentioned a lot of gadgets and the spy stuff that makes Bond Bond. And, like, you mentioned Q. And I feel like one of my main highlights of this movie was Q's character. He was amazing. Mm-hmm. He was, like, so funny. He was so, like, almost relatable is a bad word. But he was relatable. He was like, oh, Bond's back at it again. I was just about to have a nice dinner with a partner I'm having over. And then Bond comes in saying, we need to save the world again. And you, the guy never catches a break. But <laughs> he's such an amazing character. He really is. And I feel like, uh, I don't know the name of the actor, to be honest. But he plays him perfectly. Like, such a, like, high maintenance. Everything's in his control. And very eccentric. He has, there's a scene on the huge, like, plane while he's controlling Bond and 007 in the island. And he opens a drawer, and there's just teapots there. And he's like, oh, wrong drawer. Close it back up. And it's like, they managed to make a character out of him from just like a few minutes of screen time, which is really impressive. I think he was a big factor of why I like this movie. Yeah, no, totally agree with that. And I might even say that this is my favorite iteration of Q, this actor. Um, not my favorite Bond movie, but this Q is a cue that I want to watch more of. And normally when I see Q, I'm like, okay, show us the gadgets, Q. Shut up and show us the gadgets. You know, this guy didn't have me saying that. This guy was funny. Uh, he, he, uh, it was fun to have a gay character that wasn't, you know, just all about being gay. Um, yeah, I, I totally agree. Q is great. I will say one of my fears, though, is is it's always a balance, right? You don't want a character to have their whole identity based around their sexuality, but also... Yeah, I have these fears, right? We've seen so often in Disney movies that it's just a it's just a sound bit that can be easily edited out for another market, right? Like you have two women kissing in, in Star Wars, it's gonna be cut from the Chinese release. I always, you know, I always want there to be a bigger stamp that's harder to cut out, you know? Uh, but I, I again, tend I, to I, agree. I don't want it to be... But I don't think there was room for it in this movie. You know, I think that yeah. in this movie it was served really well. You know, there are other movies where there's actually a romance subplot or something that, you know, could be a bit more pronounced. This movie, I, I, I feel comfortable saying it was appropriate. We didn't have the oxygen for it kind of thing. Yeah, fair enough. Fair, fair. Well, okay, and then one of the other things I want to tie back to is, Denise, you, you made the distinction earlier. Once we get to the island, we have Bond and we have 007, right? We have a new character played by Lashana Lynch who has stepped in to be the new 007 agent since, like you had also said, Bond is out of the job all the time, right? He's retiring consistently, and so... You know, the Bureau finally took him up on it and, you know, took his his moniker and gave it to another agent. So how did we feel about this character? You know, the mantle being passed on to a black woman, which is a a pretty interesting move for this franchise that, like you had said, Hank is known for being pretty misogynistic. Uh, I feel like that was intentional on the screenwriters or whoever did this. Uh, because it, it it does symbolize like James Bond, the old-fashioned guy. He's always 007. He's not going anywhere. But then suddenly the, the new world is here. The modern world is here. 
your moniker is given to a black woman. Like, it's it's yeah, it's times are times are changing. James Bond is not who like who he always was anymore. And I think it's a great like gateway into us saying goodbye to his character. Like, he's getting old now. This is the last film. And I don't feel like this was the film's way of showing like the film's way of saying the next Bond is going to be a black woman. It's, it was just a way for the film to say, nope, Daniel Craig, his character, you can see he's old. Like he is being replaced. <laughs> it's time for him to go. And they, I think they tie all of that in very well. There's uh, scenes where 007 gives the moniker back to James Bond and say, it's just a number. But then James Bond gives it to her saying, it's just a number. Saying like, yeah, Bond is bigger than 007, but also 007 has surpassed Bond and has left him in the past, kind of, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah I I think I liked the black woman uh, 007. Um, as a character, I definitely liked her. Um, I, I think she was great in this movie. But in terms of kind of like the question, you know, like what if a a future James Bond is a black woman. I'm actually totally cool with that. I think that could work totally. The important thing for me is that that doesn't signal them just moving completely away from the character. You know, if if it's James Bond or like Jeanette Bond, I guess, if, it, if it's a woman. I don't know, maybe she's named Jamie or something. But, you know, I'm totally fine with it being a black woman. I just... If they change the character completely, it's no longer to be James Bond. So I think it's a fine line to tread. And I don't think there's any reason they would have to change the character completely for it to be a black woman. You know, James Bond, he's uh, he's always been kind of smug. He's kind of seductive. He's kind of, you know, smooth and clever. Black woman can totally be all those things. Those are kind of like his key traits. I've seen no reason that a black woman couldn't play James Bond. Um, my concern is that the new 007 in this movie doesn't really display a lot of that. She's a completely different character. So if this was a look at, like... I, I don't know if they're planning on bringing her back as the future, like, 007. But if they did, I'm not sure how interested I would be in the movies just based on what I've seen of the character. I mean, I'll definitely still go see it, but I would want them to still give me the same sort of character because I go in for kind of, like, that, like, smug, clever British asshole, you know? And I would like her to, to also do that if that's if she, if she's leading a, a a 007 movie. Does does that make sense? Am I did I just talk in a circle? No, it does make sense. What I was trying to stress is that I don't think this was the movie's way of signaling that they're going towards a black woman, James Bond. It was more that I think she was more symbolic in this movie to showcase how we're moving past. Daniel Craig's James Bond, not James Bond in particular, but like in the in the movie, the character. He's old now. He's starting to get irrelevant. He's proven himself one last time, but it's time to move on because in the end, again, because this is the spoiler section, he dies. It's like the world is moving past him. But I actually, uh, I'm going to, Daniel Craig himself said how he didn't want a woman James Bond purely because of the fact that it would just be a way of saying, hey, James Bond's a woman now, instead of actually building an equally cool woman character. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like James Bond should always remain a guy and equally cool 
woman characters should be crafted. I think uh, making James Bond a woman is just a lazy way of representation mm -hmm. because they're not trying to make a strong woman character that people can relate to. Because whenever someone's going to see a woman James Bond, they're just going to be like, ah, they made, they made James Bond a woman, what the fuck? Like, it's not really a step forward, it's more of a step back. Mm -hmm. So I feel like I hope the next James Bond does remain a guy, but I really want to see more James Bond type female characters. And that's why I wanted to see Ana de Armas so much in this movie. Because the moment she entered yeah. the screen, I was like, of course, like she's beautiful, she's very sexy, but she's in kind of sexualized in this movie the same way Daniel Craig is sexualized. Like we are aware that they're attractive, but she's also uh, very kind of in this movie, she's very like nervous, giggly, but at the same time, she's a badass. Like that's a very interesting character that can be built in the future. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more on those points. I think what you're bringing up of, you know, just rebranding a, a pre-written character to have a gender swap is, is a very lazy thing that I think we see a lot, you know, maybe less so in, like, Marvel movies, but something that's been a big issue in, like, Marvel comics, right? You have, like, She-Hulk, or you have, you know, Spider-Gwen, right? Like, these, these are not real characters that were originated from original concept, right? They are purely just, let's, let's throw a, a color gradient on this pre-existing character, um, and call it a day and say that we have representation. So I, I like the point that Craig brings up of why do we just not have better written female spy thrillers? Yeah, you know, I haven't seen too much of, of Daniel Craig, like, in interview or anything, but based on that, you know, I, I feel like maybe I should look up more of him because I've liked a lot of his roles, and uh, I think that's a good take on it. You know, just kind of, like, don't don't change something we already have. Create something new and, you know, equally cool. I, I think it's also good for the world to have new creative properties because we're in this like remake re remaster cycle um and i'm ready to see some new properties come out so i like everything about that and what's sad is like the minute daniel craig says i don't want bond to be a woman the media only takes that sentence and posts everywhere and oh daniel craig comes out and says oh daniel uh james bond shouldn't be a woman and that's where the quote ends. And it's like, okay, like the guy's actually trying to say something progressive and something very respectable. Don't try to flip it on its head. It was kind of annoying to see that everywhere. Yeah. And, y y you know, that, that sentiment seems like also flipped on its head by the fact that he brought Anna Darmus into the movie. And uh, it sounds like uh, some of her part replaced some of the stuff that Felix was going to do. So, like, obviously, you know, he's willing to... to, to see a woman like in a place where someone wanted to put a man previously uh, I, I think it, that that just makes it more clear that what he's talking about is just kind of uh doing it the right way and not like the easy way where you just keep the brand recognition or whatever sure yeah i mean generally i, I think that we are seeing not only the last of the craig movies but just generally the last of a bond that takes this shape right like there's such a move to modernity here. We don't have Bond girls anymore, right? In a way that Ana de Armas would easily be a fling in prior Bond movies. You know, he kind of makes an advance towards her, but she's not really in interested. Similar thing happens with Lashana Lynch's 007. We have a Bond who has a romantic arc over multiple movies and ultimately has a kid, right? His end goal becomes to have a quiet family life, which, you know, is denied to him later in the movie. But with Amazon acquiring MGM, you know, a lot of the behind the scenes corporate machinations and societal pressures on James Bond as a character. I think this is, 
I think it's going to be a long time until we get another Bond movie, and I also think when it does come around, it's going to take a very different shape than what we see here. Yeah. Uh, if I could pose a question to you guys while we're talking about the next James Bond, you know what question I'm going to ask, but what's your guys' pick for the next James Bond? Idris Elba. Yeah, I like the Idris Elba. I, I think it's a very... Uh, it's so clear that right it's he's right there you know a, a beautiful confident middle-aged british man who has all of that swagger but what i've heard lately that's more interesting is not the actor but what if stylistically we swapped it up kind of have more of the fun bantery stuff with this craig you know oh it blew his mind there's a lot of fun quippy stuff here what if we had a stylistic change and brought in edgar wright to run these movies in the future right british director who can do action but can also do kind of fun comedy stuff i think that would be really fun oh i i totally second that i think that would be a bit more in line with what i'm looking for from a bond movie too <laughs> oh yeah edgar wright can i mean in my mind edgar wright can take control of any movie like but <laughs> yeah this is this is exactly dan as ali um i, I agree yeah. with it yourself but he's like such a cool guy and he would fit the part perfectly my only kind of hesitation is that he is on the older side of middle age so you can't yep. really make a franchise out of him uh the friend i went to uh, to james to see no time to die he said henry cavill mm. and i was mm. maybe because you get you, you have the british you have the very handsome you have the kind of suave kind of confident attitude uh, I didn't. I didn't, I wasn't really a fan of it though, because in my mind Henry Cavill is still boyishly handsome rather than James Bond kind of handsome. If that makes sense. We're also like eight feet tall. You know what I mean? Like, he he's not really a spy, right? Like he can't disappear into a crowd when you literally look like Superman. <laughs> yeah, like Idris Elba's a big dude, but he's not a behemoth, you know. Yeah, yeah he's he's six feet big. Yeah, I don't think that Henry Cavill one's a bad one either. Um, but yeah. Well, anything else before we get into our ratings, gentlemen? Um, one last thing. Uh, Bond dies at the end. We've mentioned it a couple times, but uh, I don't know if I've ever seen that in a Bond movie. In fact, I'm, I'm fairly certain that I haven't. Um, though, you know, if, if someone comes into the, our email and says, Hank, you're not a real Bond fan. He died in Bond 3, <laughs> you know. I'll, I'll admit it on air if someone comes after me with that. But I've, I don't think I've seen Bond die before. Um, I thought that was a bold choice, and I respected him for it. Um, there, was some, there were some decisions I didn't agree with here, but uh, killing off a beloved character, you know, that's ballsy. And you, you got to hand it to him. Yeah. They could have done the quiet retri uh, retirement, and they didn't. And for that, kudos. Yeah. And it also I kind of... The, uh, okay. uh, I, I kind of... Uh, like the fact not like the fact that he dies because it was a sad moment but I kind of liked the idea that he could never attain a family like he is always James Bond like he tries to settle down no the game always pulls him back in like he will never be a family a family man he was meant to be which is sad for the character but which is amazing as a concept in a movie I feel like he can never get out of the role he was assigned by whoever, which which high higher power. Like he is always James Bond, the killing machine. Yeah, actually, 
totally agree with that. And it's funny that you uh, that, that we're talking about this because I was just playing Yakuza 4 today. And uh, the main character of Yakuza, uh, Kazuma Kiryu, or Kiryu Kazuma, if you're doing, like, first, last... Anyway, uh, he, like, he, one of his tropes is that he's always getting pulled back into the business. Um, but anyway, there was this long speech he gave in Yakuza 4 that I thought was very well connected to this movie, where he says, you know, guys like us, however much we might like to just retire and go live a peaceful life... That's not an option once we've, you know, done all the things we've done and seen all the things we want to see. Um, and it reminded me of this movie because uh, they, they, they kind of went a similar route. Like, Kiryu's never really been allowed to retire. Bond's never really been allowed to retire peacefully. And I like that because I feel like the impulse is to give the character everyone loves the happy ending. But it's just not good story writing because you can't really imagine that happening with as many enemies as a Bond has or a Kiryu has. So uh, in both these things, I like to see that kind of, you know, it, it, it's more cons internally consistent writing, and I always appreciate that. Yeah, I, I, you know, I think you guys have summed it up really well. I love the, con the courage of his convictions to actually kill off Bond. Um, and not only do that, but do it in a way that doesn't leave this open-ended, is he still alive, right? Like a, the Mass Effect 3 ending, where there's bombing, but then you see a character's hand move, right? It's, it's pretty definitive that you're seeing Daniel Craig stand there, bombs come down, absolutely obliterate the, the platform he's standing on, and there's not a lot of hope for that guy making it out of it. So, again, tragic, but narratively consistent, and I think it's it's a really good choice. Yeah, and for the record, if they do somehow pull out Daniel Craig coming back as Bond, like, out of their ass, I'll shave my head and put it on Patreon. Um, yeah. Your head? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I think it's time that we uh, start wrapping things up, putting a bow on, and uh, giving it our ratings. So, uh, in universe, again, this is how we usually do our ratings. So it can be completely arbitrary rating system. Very whose line is it anyways? Uh, and we rate them in universe. Denise, I, I forgot to prep you. I don't know if you have anything ready, so I'll do Hank first. Hank, final thoughts on the movie and a uh, uh, rating system. Yeah, so this movie, I think it's a fine movie. It's definitely entertaining all the way through. It's a bit overlong for me. Um, all that said, uh, it's not really what I come to a Bond movie for. It's, it's very much an action movie, and I always kind of want a spy movie. I knew I wasn't going to get one because I've seen the other Daniel Craig Bond movies, but a boy can hope, right? Um, that said, didn't ruin the movie for me. I got some, you know, pretty solid Bond action. So I'm just lukewarm. I'm not totally against this one. Uh, so with that in mind, I think I would give this movie like a solid six exploding mechanical eyes out of ten. Solid. Nice, nice. All right, Denise, what do you think of the movie? Uh, I, I mean, I've always been a high rater. Like if I like a movie and I enjoy it, my rating starts from a seven and it goes up from there. Like I'm not I'm I, I'm always very like a non-critic when it comes to that like if a movie fundamentally makes me enjoy it i'm like okay like and this movie was like that i mean no time to die i feel like it was a very fun movie and even though there's some bad character developments especially with the villain and it's kind of an overused trope of how Bond has to go back into the game. There's a lot of stuff you can dissect, but at the end of the day, I feel like it was a very fun movie and it was a good way to say farewell to the character 
We Love, which was played by Daniel Craig. So I'm giving it uh, 8 out of 10 ethnic groups destroyed by the bioweapon. <laughs> <laughs> ethnic cleansing parading. I don't think we've ever done that before. So always a first. <laughs> uh, cool. All right. So I'll close this out. Um, I really like this movie way more than I had any intentions of actually enjoying. Not even a, a huge fan of the franchise, but I do really like action movies, and I think that plays a big part in me liking uh, this movie. And it's it's just for a two-hour and 45-minute movie, we have a lot of that time being devoted to action. And I think it's really well-shot action. Um, and I think it's, it's done by characters that are uh, really invested, or actors that are really invested in their characters. So... I love this movie. I think it was a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, I'm probably going to watch it again when it goes to streaming. So if I had to rate it, I would give it uh, an Aston Martin DB8 out of 10. Love it. Cool. Well, thank you again, Denise, for joining us. Um, We would encourage everyone not only to check out his page, which is on Instagram, uh, letterboxed out of context. Check out our Patreon at rotatingreels.com. And join us next week for our main review, which is going to be Ridley Scott's The Last Duel. I'll read the blurb really quickly. Woo! King Charles VI declares that night Jean de Carahues settle his dispute with his squire by challenging him to a duel. Uh, one of two big movies that Ridley Scott has coming out this year, uh, coupled with House of Gucci, which also looks phenomenal. Dude, Ridley Scott shits gold. Just throwing that out there. One of my favorite directors of all time. Absolutely stoked for this. And uh, stoked that we had Denise on this episode as well again. Thank you for coming by. It's been a pleasure. Wait, before we wrap up, though, one last thing. You got to check out the Patreon because we have a new episode coming out this week of uh, 2020-2021's Prisoners of the Ghostlands starring Nick Cage. It's going to be a zany review. It's a zany movie. So be sure to check that out. Plug, 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 plug. <laughs> cool. All right. Thanks, everyone.